I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys. So today I'm very excited. I am interviewing Alicia Robertson, and she's an author, speaker, life and divorce coach who helps recently separated women through her business, Lemonade Life, which I just love that, right? She makes lemonade. Uh, She knows exactly how devastating it is to hear the words, I want a divorce. And her mission is to change the narrative around divorce to provide support and guidance with the ultimate goal of helping as many women as possible. I was so excited to have her on because I just know from all my family work that a lot of marriages did not survive the pandemic. And a lot of things didn't survive the pandemic. (laughs) Um, And so it's so great to have her on to kind of walk us through how to best handle a divorce and how to handle yourself and get guidance and support. So welcome, Alicia. Thank you for having me, Jamie. I'm so thrilled to be here. How are you? I'm so great. You? I'm awesome. I'm always awesome. I agree. Go back to bed if you're not. <laughs> well, I, I sleep a lot. I, 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 I sleep. I go to bed. Me too. <laughs> Alicia, how did you even start this work? Like a divorce coach seems like such a good idea, but I don't know that I would have ever thought of it. I know. And it's kind of a risky thing, right? All of a sudden, I'm only going to work with these few clients that check these boxes. You know what? My journey has been both personal and professional. I was not unlike many of the moms I'm sure that you deal with where, where I was extremely burnt out and depleted after years of doing all the right things and checking all the right boxes, right? The good daughter, the good friend, the good community leader, the good student, and then, you know, the good wife and the good mom and really leading a life that, you know, I thought was what all things successful meant. And I love to be a caregiver and a supporter, but it had absolutely deleted me and had me burnt out. I was living according to labels and titles. I had lost my identity. Once you become the good one, it's impossible. Like, and I'm the kind of person in organizations, I'm going to be on the board of whatever it is. And I'm like, I need to be shittier at things so that people don't want me to do all the things. (laughs) It is true. As I started this journey, that was one of the things is that, you know, that feeling when you're, you're serving everyone, but pleasing no one. Like I hate when I get into that space, you know, as a mom where you're just doing all the things and it's like, wait a second, I don't want to bake the motherfucking muffins and sell the PTA shit. Like that's actually not my zone of genius. And that was this whole exercise of really, who am I? What do I want? And what am I really good at? And instead of always trying to work to my bottom 10 or 20%, you know, oh, you've got, you got to get better at this. You've got to please more people, do more things in this burnout zone, right? 
No, I'm going to focus on my incredible gifts and talents. And they may be but two things, but that's my zone of genius. And that's where I'm sticking. But it's and not so, the motherfucking muffins. That's going right? on Instagram. It's not the motherfucking muffins. <laughs> the motherfucking muffins. <laughs> and I can still be motherfucking mom and not do the motherfucking muffins, right? <laughs> but yeah, I just, when I was going through all of these moments, my little guy was six weeks old. He was my second. My daughter was four and a half. And I hadn't even realized that I had struggled through postpartum anxiety the first time, Mm. you know, I, in hindsight, I knew, and things were very wrong the first time I went through it, but you know, I was like, well, all the other moms are doing it. Nobody else is, you know, complaining about this stuff. But I remember being in the kitchen trying to make nachos and not knowing how to do it Mm. and just paralyzed with a panic attack, right. And start walking the neighborhood with the babe in the sling. But and so with my little guy, he was six weeks old and it was debilitating anxiety. And I also had this really awful feeling in my gut, like something was wrong with my marriage, with my relationship. And so I just, I addressed it like I do, you know, just the thing when you, when you ask the bold questions, you might not get the answers you want to hear, but at least, you know, so I did, I asked the question to my former partner. Now I said, is our marriage in, in trouble? And he said, I don't know. And so as you can imagine, being a new mom, postpartum, new, new babe. This is when you think you really have planned for what is going to go the test of time. It's a very young, new family. I mean, my babies were everything. My whole identity was to be a mom. And I couldn't imagine, especially when they were so young to not see them every day. I put my babies to bed every night, right? Right, Changed all the diapers, did all the things. Like I couldn't, couldn't even imagine. I was just so right that was to the top of your, cause I imagine, you know, I've never been married. I've always been a single mom, but I would imagine like people have different, when they know their marriage is in trouble, they have different scares, you know, different mm-hmm. things like it, the financial piece or so it sounds like split custody was like a really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A yeah. Thing. And I had all of those fears too. And it's interesting, you know, when you start to talk about what are your priorities versus your former partner's priorities versus the children's priorities, right. To be able to have some of that transparency and inclusion, my priorities were the kids for sure, for sure. And then my compromises meant that perhaps I was compromising on financial or other things, right. In terms of, you know, when you uncouple that partnership from an assets and liability place, but my priority was, you know, time with kids. So. And so were you able to do that amicably with your ex or. Yes. So through a lot of effort, a lot of consciousness and intentionality, a lot of therapy and counseling, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, a lot of healing, growth, a positive attitude, mindfulness. We weren't always friends, but we could be friendly. We always fortunately were a good team, right? We worked together. We did business together and we always did have our independent lives, even in our partnership. So we were equipped with being able to do really what I think is the most important thing with co-parenting and making it amicable is to be able to build a new partnership, right? It is strategic. And how we do that is we focus on the situation, the task or the circumstance. And in this case, it is the children. It's our job now as co-parents focusing on a shift of partnership from marriage to co-parents. And what that means is that what's the job description? What are the competencies, right? What do we need to do? We need to be aligned on goals. We need to be aligned on values. And how we get there is going to look differently in each of our homes and to be able to respect that, but to always be able to come back to 
you know, those shared interests for the family or for the children. Well, what about like, it sounds like you guys landed on, and I know a lot of marriages mm-hmm. like this, but it almost falls into like, like a good partnership, but the, the love, the passion, all the stuff's gone. And it sounds like you guys landed at like a, oh shit, we're in trouble. Well, mm-hmm. what happens guys, before we started recording, I said, you know, I think Gwyneth Paltrow is full of a lot of shit, a lot of times with her goop and whatnot, but she, she coined the term conscious uncoupling, which I thought was like, wow, that's great. Like, you can really just say like, hey, this isn't working and I'm a huge communicator. And I was engaged like, I don't know, 2014. And I went to like consciously uncouple and he started slinging the mud. And I was like, oh, this is how it gets contentious. You want to play that game? Because <laughs> I'll fuck you up. I'm all nice till I'm not. I just think in so many cases, there's infidelity or there's maybe domestic violence where it's not quite so like, it sounds like you guys started at a place almost amicable. Do you know what I'm saying? So what happens when it's like not so amicable? Right. And you're right. You know, I had a human who had integrity, respect, all these things. (laughs) So Catherine Woodward Thomas is actually the author of conscious uncoupling. And she has a really interesting story and same kind of thing was, was a psychotherapist who was a marriage therapist, right? Can you could imagine her going through divorce back in the day when all of a sudden, whoa. Okay. So Gwyneth Paltrow didn't make it up. It's so Gwyneth Paltrow read her book, but, and I was like you, when I was going through this, that was a great landmark of, okay, I want that. Right. And, And then my vision and setting it up. But for those of us who can't go through it, you know, in my opinion, the work is the same. The work is personal. It's knowing who you are, what you want, having the courage to speak up for it, right? To have the boundaries, to be able to communicate, to know in every situation, what are your personal priorities? Because it's a constant negotiation. And when the other person isn't playing nice in the sandbox or they're not doing things, those are, again, very clear boundaries that we're managing on every single level to be able to be able to personally advocate for yourself, to create space and time to heal and recover from whatever that situation is. And then to be able to stay in your lane, you know, what matters is that your nest, your home, right. That you're a responsive, transparent, inclusive parent. And, you know, the kids may not have that experience and you don't have control over what their experience is over there. Your job is to help them to lean in and to be curious and to help them determine what are their values and what are the coping strategies they could learn in going through what might be a difficult situation for them. So that's something you help people navigate mm-hmm. as their coach. That's good though. Cause you must get mired down and like, yeah, but Alicia, you don't understand. He fucking said this man, busy, busy. and then when he dropped the kids <laughs> off, they had dirty diapers. And I don't know, like, what do you want me to do? Be conscious with this? Na- no, I get it all the time where, <laughs> you know, my situation is totally unique. My situation is really t- calm, you know, all the things. Honestly, you said that, you know, whether it's an affair, I coach people who've had the affairs or who the affairs have been handed to. Um, I coach people who call it, others who haven't called it. The bottom line is, is that we can't absolve our personal accountability and responsibility to this partnership that I guarantee you was not about the one single thing. You know? Yeah, 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 exactly. If we do our personal work, I remember the day when I went to forgive him. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. You know, I was just on the other side of blame and shame and I'm going to forgive you. And I remember crying the most through my journal because nobody got me here but myself. Mm -hmm. And I was the one who wasn't doing the work to make sure that I hadn't lost myself or become depleted or that I didn't have my So you guys, are you listening to Alicia? (laughs) Do your personal work. I say this every episode. Do your trauma work. 
do your childhood wounds, take care of it now. (laughs) But And it so matters because if you do desire to be in a partnership in the future, why are second marriages even, you know, higher than first marriages? Well, yeah, yeah. you're just going to find the same because wherever you go, there you are. Well, let's start. Do you ever coach people who are like maybe where you were like, wait a minute, I think my marriage is in trouble. Am I looking at a divorce? I would like not to. Yes. So I work with people who have made a decision. For everybody who has not made a decision yet, I really believe that proper counseling, therapy, professional support to help you with whatever you're dealing with. It's usually old, a lot of patterns, a lot of belief systems, a lot of behaviors and choices that haven't been checked. And there might be opportunity for you to be able to recognize this and do the work and have a thriving partnership still. It remains to be seen. What we know is that the anxiety comes from the fact that you don't have a plan. So I will quite simply help people to dial into, okay, what is the plan and what is the path forward for you right now? You know, this decision today doesn't have to be the decision for life. It's the most informed decision you can make for yourself right now. So if the decision is to make a decision, that's okay too. But I will really pick people up when they've made the decision. Mm -hmm. And what they want is to become informed prepared to be unstuck and to do the best, most intentional, you know, thing for their family so that they're thriving because I think people are getting it. You know, it's, it's about a new family dynamic. You know, how do I get, what is beforehand you would do your work, but I would also recommend you guys get a parent coach as well, because Mm -hmm. what I run into the most is the marriage was fine till kids because Mm -hmm. you anticipate I have a whole chapter in my book about core values, because the only thing you discuss when you get pregnant is if you're going to allow stickers on the windows in your car and no spanking. Like nobody says, what are you going to do when the kid falls out in a five-star restaurant? Are you going to leave? Are you, you know what I mean? Like we don't do these things. And I know a lot of moms get like really wrapped up in the newborn phase or they have postpartum depression or anxiety. Don't recognize it. The father becomes like cursory or the partner becomes cursory. And so a lot of problems start off there. And I'm adamant, even though I'm single, I'm like, your marriage is the foundation of the family. So many new parents use it as a crash pad at the end of the day. And I'm like, no, it should be the umbrella that protects. So when you start using it as the crash pad, you're headed for divorce because you're just going to keep getting farther and farther away. And Um, that's the thing. I love that you said that. Like, I mean, if you wait too long, right. And you're doing therapy on your way to divorce, you know, that's really not, I think, I think it's like 10% or 13% are the stats that people that can actually, you know, bring this party back around. Yeah. I and, went to a couple's therapist you know, and they, as a couple, cause I was yeah. like, mm, things are wrong. And he was like, well, thank God you guys got here now. People, people, and I hear that all the time. Like my marriage is in trouble. And I get into counseling. No, I'll wait till it's really bad. It's really bad. If it's you're really bad. Said your marriage is in trouble, it's bad. Yeah. And wouldn't it be nice that exactly this could be a moment, you know what, maybe you're not comfortable about, you know, therapy or counseling or formal types of labels like this, but it's an opportunity when you're having children, when you're building a new family, Hey, we need a toolbox right yes. now for how we're going to do this thing. Because I think that that was big for us. We weren't able to translate into a family unit. We were together on our own, selfishly yes. dependent thriving, building business together, doing all that stuff and then enter kids. And we weren't able to make that transition. And, you know, an interesting thing there too, is that kids can be a great motivator, but they can't be the only motivator. Yeah. Because then you're just modeling really, in my opinion, perhaps an unhealthy relationship. And even then they're like, they're 
a motivator. They're not a healer. Like guys, no. if you think your marriage is in trouble, if you suspect your marriage is in trouble, don't have another fucking baby. That's not the solution. Right? Yeah. Like, I see it all the time. And I'm like, yes. it could be a motivator, but there's going to be resentment because it might be a motivator to stay for the wrong reasons. And a newborn who doesn't sleep is not good for any marriage. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's so, you're absolutely Even the strongest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And that's, you know, the other things that I, I hate when people say, well, I'm also staying for my kids. You know, we can't put these burdens, these massive things on our children, right? Oh, I had children. It saved my life or, you know, it, your whole purpose again, just can't be all about your kids. They can be a beautiful part of your purpose, you know, and your journey, but to put that kind of weight on them is a a really good point. And also I just think Nobody's got a great game face about these things. So if you're already headed for divorce and you're staying for the kids, the kids know in all your modeling is a loveless relationship. And so, and kids pick up so much on that, you know, and I didn't understand that till I was engaged to this guy and my audience, I talk about this guy all the time, the lessons I learned. It was funny because my son, Pascal, like loved him. And I, for the first time I stayed through a lot of bullshit because I was like, Oh, Pascal really loves him staying for the kids. Like I got that notion for the first time, but then when we broke up, I, I had to tell Pascal and you know what he said to me, he Mm -hmm. goes, Oh darn. I was really looking forward to wedding cake. That was it. Me staying through six months of bullshit extra because my kid wanted wedding cake. I was like, I'll just go buy you a wedding cake. How about that? (laughs) Yeah. And let me tell you my clients, I really believe my clients, there's no, you know, people go, when is the right time for kids to go through something like this? Never right time. This of course is going to be life-changing for them. And, you know, is really challenging and difficult. We can do all the silver lining that I help with that. Right. But it's still hard. And I'll tell you my clients that have teenagers to adult children, even adult children can be the hardest on them. And I think, and you must see this with your clients too, is that as parents, when we're not in alignment, when we don't have integrity and that our actions don't match our values, but we preach this stuff to them all day long and we mm-hmm. hold them accountable to all these standards, but we mm-hmm. don't do it ourselves. Right. They don't trust us. Yeah. And they build their own contempt and resentment towards us and what it is. Don't stay for me. And my clients who have children who can share and who can be a participant in the conversation when they're older, just what you said. Like, we want you to be happy. We want you to be happy. We don't enjoy being in this conflict home. And in fact, there's statistics that show children who are in conflict or in really negative, unstable environments, they fare better through divorce because they're finally able to get into a more stable situation. Oh, yeah. At least one parent, right? Yeah, that was my, I had a horrible, my father was horribly abusive. And when we got him out, it was like a celebration. Like, it was like and my mom was like, I stayed for you kids. And I was like, well, it doesn't matter because we would have been poor five years earlier. Now we're just poor with more scarring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. Where it's like, you know, mom, again, that's like, and I had all of that stuff, you know, when I was, you know, to your point, the superficial things we go to when our partnership breaks down, it was, you know, how will I be judged? You know, I'm, I'm a failure that I couldn't even keep my marriage together. And therefore my children are going to come from a broken home. And it was all these superficial narratives and stigma that I was so afraid of in the beginning when in actual fact, you know what? I wasn't being the best mom I could be, right? I wasn't modeling the best version of myself to my children. I was modeling being a doormat. 
or modeling, going through the hard thing to keep, yeah. you know, not, not to be superficially happy, but to take care of your own soul. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have to make the hard decisions, but you said the magic, very antiquated word words, broken home, which sounds so, okay. I am 54. I went to a Catholic school when my parents got divorced, like that whole broken home. And I was like, break this fucker. It's not working. Break it. I don't care. (laughs) Right. It's already broken. (laughs) But I feel like in this day and age, it's such a weird, I don't want a broken home. Like we have so many tools and resources at our disposal now. So, so talk more about that. Like I said, it was something that was so activating for me is to, and I'm very curious, you know, what do they mean about broken home? Are my children going to be broken? And if so, to what degree and how, and how can I start to solve for this? What really makes for a broken home? And you know what? There's really, it's personal. They're all personal definitions. There's so many different situations with different complexities, whether it's high conflict or amicable. But what I realized is that, you know, it's not a broken home. That's a word that's used to shame people into staying. Right. Mm -hmm. And I deal with a lot of women who can't get up and don't feel that it is a choice for them because they will be removed from communities, Mm -hmm. from church, from school systems, they will lose their family and their friends and their communities. So it is a term I think that is used to keep people where they are and keep people stuck in terms of like the negative things that happen as a result. Listen, life is challenge and change and our children need to be equipped to deal with challenge and change. And this is a massive challenge and a massive change, but we can model what it is to go through that. And they can be equipped with so many life skills. Yes. It's not well, broken. I have a funny story related to broken homes. So when I was 24, I went out to dinner with a bunch of people. Like I lived in San Francisco. So it was like this bohemian kind of dinner. And there was a couple and they were in their late sixties, like totally in love, like all over each other. And I was like, Oh my God, you guys have been married forever. Like how are you still so in love? I've never seen this before. And the woman goes, oh, honey, we've never tried to live together. So they had two separate houses, six kids, and they were two blocks away. You know, I mean, obviously very privileged in San Francisco. The kids could sleep wherever they wanted at any given time. They totally were on the same page with parenting. So the same rules applied. So there wasn't favoritism. I was so young and I was like, A, that sounds great. And B, the bells went off in my head even that long ago of like, oh, it's not two different houses. It's the shit slinging. It's the favoritism. It's the one parent who buys all the candy and the good stuff. It's the one parent who does all the fun activities and the other parent makes the lunches. And you know what I mean? And so I feel like it's not separate homes. It's not not having your kids for a weekend. It's the conflict. The conflict. Yes. And the access. You know, there really is a lot of women give up their financial independence in their partnership. Right. Right. I think it's like 26% of women have access to their money in partnership. And so then when you go through something like this, you may not be in the career or workforce or have a professional or an investment strategy or financial plan or be financially independent. So then when you become a single mom and have less means, now your kids have less opportunity and access. And it's not just the financial stuff. It's also the time, right? We might not be able to drive all the kids to all the things all the time. So there are some things that, you know, I I just believe if we could support single moms even more with funding, with grants, with coaching and resources for how to be able to still, you know, have the education, have the resources about building community 
right? Like whether you have a partner or extended family, that's going to support you or not, because many don't, many are completely isolated. They've moved to where their partner was. Yeah. Especially if you're in an abusive relationship, right? right? Because yeah. And so, but again, this is my work. This is my work. I have to make sure I have a healthy community that surrounds me that I can ask for help. You know, that I can have resources, that I can have learning, that I can, right, have shared experiences. This is our work. You have to build that. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of moms will say, well, I felt like I was doing all the things anyways in partnership, so it won't be that bad. Single parenting is very different. Yeah. (laughs) Very different. For sure. So you help people navigate like kids schedule and handling the change. What does that look like? Yeah. So again, I am just a big belief. If we're going to have stability, consistency, transparency, inclusion, right. In our homes, we need to be able to share what is the plan, right. To first gather, to be in constant communication, to come up with in every situation, whether it's day in the life and how we want to move through that flow or whether it's special celebrations, holidays, rituals, and traditions, you know, to be able to gather and understand from each person in the family, what matters to them. If we focus on what matters most to each of us, we usually can achieve that. And then we can get into planning mode. So for transition days that are happening all the time, this can become very consistent, but it requires a schedule. And depending on how good you are about scheduling or people sticking to the plan, you've got to check in more frequently, right? And so what that looks like, very simple calendar, right? At the beginning of the month, you check in with everyone. Where are we at? Are there any conflicts of interest, special occasions, things that have come up, right? Does anyone want to see anything done differently? And then we put that up somewhere where the children can see it. And it's age and stage. When my kids were babes and toddlers, it was color-coded. There were stickers, right? Children need stability. So how do we do that? We, we include them in what is the plan. They know where they're going to be. Right? What about this? Let me ask you this. Yeah. Two questions. Yeah. I agree. Children need stability, but usually one of the partners is not stable. So do you actually work with couples or just the women and, or what happens? Cause this is what I see in my work is absolute contention from the other party. Like, no, I'm not playing. No, that schedule doesn't work for me. No, you can potty train at your house, but I'm not going to at my house. How do you deal with that? Yeah. All the time. That is like boundaries. So once we can sort of go, okay, listen, focus on the situation and the circumstance, right? So this is the goal. This is how we need to get there. Okay. And so when you don't have alignment or you don't have someone, you can clearly communicate that, right? I'll I'll stick to the schedule. So here's the schedule that I'm proposing for this coming month. If you can let me know, okay, when you have people that are contentious or that are consistent boundary breakers, they need consequences. So this is the schedule. And if you can let me know by X date, if there are any changes or anything that doesn't work for you, if I do not hear back from you, I will be moving forward as the schedule is laid out. And if there are any last minute changes, I'll need 72 hours notice or whatever that is. X amount of money, whatever that is, that it's going to take you to come up with caregiving and so on. So it's laid out so that you can move forward with the plan. We're not going to do a dance and a constant back and forth and, you know, constantly being taken advantage of. Sometimes you aren't going to have the support and that person can be a no-show all the time. But what you need to be able to do is to be in control of that and in ahead of it so that you can move forward. And there, when you're doing that, you're also documenting what is the precedent. <laughs> 
So if you yeah. do ever have to go back into a court of law right. to be able to advocate for something different, you've got precedent. Yeah. That's yeah, document, document, document. Yeah. Right. Things are usually laid out in the divorce decree, like, yeah. you know, visitation and all of that. And so sometimes, you know, what is just shitty. You're not going to have a partner who is going to be on side with anything. They're yeah. not going to agree with everything. And you know what? It's just, you got to get scrappy and you got to do the work. You know, there's no easy way about it. And I feel my heart breaks for my single moms who have really deadbeat or abusive or just irresponsible, disrespectful partners. It's heartbreaking. I've had my clients in those cases, you know, they just feel like they're leaving. I had one client said to me, you know, the other day, I feel like I'm leaving my children and burning home, you know, like these are really hard situations, but even with that, again, we're not talking about safety and security of the child. If it's safety, that's a different, that's, that's law enforcement. No, And it was like my father, he was so butthurt about my mother, not just butthurt. He had a personality disorder. Like it angered him so much that he just didn't even factor in the kids. It was like, I'm going to fuck her no matter what. Never mind that we were getting screwed the whole time. But yeah, yeah, so you can, you can see that happen. Yeah. You know, what about if they, I see this a lot too, is like parents who just cannot get on board parenting, they do end up separating, but there are parenting styles that were like kind of getting on the same page now are wildly different. Like I just, I worked with a couple recently, the mom was, you know, boundaries, routine, rhythm, routine, schedules. And the dad was crazy spending money, like on a two-year-old that like, I can't even tell you things that should not be spent on a two-year-old. So he wanted his kid to be, feel like he's a prince spoiled, rotten, anything he wants. So what happens in those situations when the parenting styles then get magnified? And then of course the mom had to get more boundaries and, you know, then she's looking like the jerk because she's like, no, you go to bed at seven. And he's like, well, I can watch cartoons till two in the morning at dad's, you know, like we said before, you are a motherfucking mom. You know what? Stand for that consistency and those values and advocate for your child because that Disneyland dad stuff gets old and children always see through it at some point. You know, for all my moms that go through, they get so frustrated for so many reasons and the kids start to see, oh, dad's just buying my love. Dad's actually selfish. Dad's a liar. Dad's doing these things to overcompensate for X, Y, Z, because he doesn't want to spend time with me or kids are wise. Just like we talked about which really is what I have to say about this is that like it or not, this is your children's journey with that other parent. And so I never triangulate or judge that parent, even in those situations. And what I always do, kids will come home. Maybe they say something. I lean in with curiosity and I take them down the path we just talked about, right? It's like, we're in the boat in the middle of the river and we're bouncing off the sides. Hey, so, you know, how did that make you feel? And What did that mean to you? What matters to you? And what are your values in this situation? And how would you, you know, show up and really take them through an exercise of thoughtfully understanding why that worked for them or why it didn't work for them. And then I always let them know that number one, if something needs to change and they need to advocate for themselves, I want to help them to be able to go go directly to the source, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to triangulate or be acting on their behalf unless it's, you know, health related. And number two is that, isn't this great that you have an opportunity to make your own choices for yourself as you move forward with any relationship, right? So whatever didn't work in that situation, they've got an opportunity to learn from. 
Oh, okay. And again, they're learning things that a parent's behavior doesn't have anything to do with them. Right. This is well, I like to, you keep saying curious and I'm taking back to internal family systems. It's a type Mm -hmm. of therapy and they have the C's, you know, stay calm, consistent, curious, Mm -hmm. and with connection. And I know when I work with families that are headed for divorce about parenting, a lot of the Disney dad syndrome is they don't know what to do with the kids. They don't know what to do. So they buy shit or they go do activities because they think that's what they're supposed to do. And so when you can approach with connection and curiosity and be like, you know, they like watching a movie with you and making popcorn, you know, or they like helping you make dinner. And then the dads be like, that's enough. I can just have them help me cook, you know? So sometimes if we can lower our guard too, because I know when I also work with moms, we're brutal too, because we're like, What's that like meme about like, you can load the dishwasher for me, but don't worry, I'm going to do it over. Like, but then we bitch about how it's done. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Totally. And I think this is a great point because what I was talking about is actually what I see more is the high conflict narcissism. Mm, And as a result is the Disney dad stuff, but where it's amicable, you're, you're absolutely right. The low hanging fruit, right. Is just don't judge. I'm not a perfect mom. He's not a perfect dad. Right. Can we just talk about what this is, you know, why are you doing this? And guess what? I think that as a parent, we both do it. We both do it. I might not spend the money, but I might spend like every second with the children. So there's like different types of overindulging when the kids are home, because you're driven by this guilt that when the kids are home, I haven't seen them in however many days now I have to be with them all the time. It's like that toxic positivity, right? Oh, so I perceive that what I'm doing is so good because I'm activity based or we're cooking or we're (laughs) right. Like Martha Stewart's of the world. Oh, but his overindulgence, I can judge that because it's money and it's, you know, what. Right. they're both Over. not good for the kids. Over. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh my God. All right. So then how, assuming, you know, reasonable time has gone by, talk to me about introducing new partners. Cause I'm sure that's um, a high conflict. Yeah. Again, you have no control over this. And so where possible, if you are able to really ask yourself, what is bothering you or what's coming up or what are you fearful of in terms of what that means for a new partner coming into the family fold and then really being able to anticipate that, okay, when it happens, what am I going to need? You know, what is the plan? And I've been through it in a number of different ways. The first time before anyone had ever been introduced to the kids, I had asked, I figured out that what mattered to me is that I didn't want to be blindsided and I wanted an opportunity to have time to process before this person was introduced. So that's what mattered to me. And my former partner was cool with that. He said, okay, fine. I'll give you, you know, and I remember at the time he's like, how much notice? I don't know, like six months. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to need 20 years. Right. I'm going to need like 30 years. So anyways, I think we came up to, it was like two weeks. Right. So I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, okay. That's good. So he did, he, you know, he was able to give me that notice. The other thing is that I wanted to be in control. And so I remember my therapist, she said, some of my clients, they'll go out for coffee with the new person or write them a letter. I was like, that is sounds batshit crazy. (laughs) I go, okay, okay. I could probably do this. I could probably, so I did, I wrote an email. Okay. I welcomed this individual into the family and just acknowledged that this was new for all of us and that I really appreciated their support 
in honoring what are our goals and our family values. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Right. And that we'll be open to feedback and supporting one another. So it was a really nice letter. It was a nice way to welcome because I didn't want to meet that person for the first time at a drop-off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or when some shit hits the fan and it's contentious. I have to know what she write back. Was she like, wow? Well, she was great. She wrote (laughs) back. She's like, oh my gosh. Actually, she acknowledged. She's like, I can only imagine how difficult this is for you. You're an incredible human. I have so much respect for you and your family and your children are beautiful. And you know, that was the moment that I had compassion for stepmoms. Yeah. You know, my role is actually pretty easy. (laughs) Like we said, this is our theme. I'm motherfucking mom, right? Nobody. Like that was what I was worried that somebody else was going to come and take on my role. Right, like, right. like another woman more than me, right. you know, that woman was going to be living the life of my dreams and li- doing the things with my family and then come to realize, oh my goodness, she's got it much harder than I will ever have it. You know, those are not only my kids, I am mom, but I also have a special bond with her new partner because he's the father of my children. Right. It's a complex situation. And I do remember, as I do think with all things, he had a partner first, but I just remember thinking that I could go all the negative ways, the judgment, the jealousy, the drama, and all the things, the gossip. But the thing is, is that what I'm actually doing is showing him how I want him to treat my future partners. So I sucked up a lot of all of that (laughs) for a very few. (laughs) That's a really good point. It's that other point they make in divorce too, which is how you treat, you know, you see these great stories on Insta or Facebook or whatever, where like, even though they're divorced, the dad brings flowers for the mom on Mother's Day because you're teaching your kids how to do this, how to be a good person, how to show up for the other person. And yeah, those are really great stories. Yeah. I would cry if I got a letter like that from somebody's ex, like that'd be so great. I didn't even think about how powerful it was when I was doing it. I honestly think I was just, it was my control freak manipulation thing. I'm not sure if it came from all the healthiest of places, to be honest, I was scared. I was fearful. I was reeling. But then when I had a moment to unpack really really why it mattered. And no, I'm going to call you okay. to the mat on that. I don't think it was manipulation because so? if you're coming from a place of fear, you could have been like, listen, how you're not overstepping mm-hmm. my boundaries. You could have written the mm-hmm. letter, but it could have been in a different right. place. No, I think your personal work showed up there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, because sometimes you don't, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't know, but I find with moms, when I'm dealing with moms, we're just used to having all the control, doing yeah. all the problem solving. I think writing the email things. was the control. I'm going to get ahead of this. That's I'm right. Gonna, I'm going to be the first person. Yeah. yeah. That was the control, but then your compassion. Yeah. And yeah, I approve. <laughs> I can need my fucking approval. <laughs> Well, and the interesting thing is, is now, so that was the first, but we've had multiple partners. I've never done that with subsequent partners. So it just was so it's, you know, and I talk about this in my book, it's like managing the first, the first seems so daunting. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and your kids are little too, and it's easy. I think, you know, when kids get older and they can communicate and Uh you can communicate and you can see they're more affected. They come home after drop off and Something's up. You know what I mean? I feel like when they're little, though, it's like all hands on deck because you don't know what's happening and they can't necessarily express this is it. This yeah. is it. And you know that that other woman, hopefully, and it has been in my case, she's supporting your children. Right. So you want to equip her and welcome her and make her feel safe and secure in this situation because she is. She's supporting those kids. All right. I think we should wrap this up. We've been talking for a while. <laughs> 
We can keep going. We could. <laughs> Thank you, Alicia. Where can people find you? Yes, I. Uh, so I love my Instagram community. That's Lemonade Life Coach, and online at lemonadelife.ca. And you can reach me on email. I love to have these conversations and to be intimate and connected and one to one. So connect at lemonadelife.ca is where you can find me as well. And you have a book though, too, right? I do my book, Make Lemonade, and it's available wherever you find books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and on my Instagram and on my website, there are links to be able to purchase the book. And it's great. It's really about thriving through what has been my catalyst for change, my rock bottom, which was divorced by personally transforming my life and all the things we were talking about. I talk about all of the things, just like this letter (laughs) that I learned the hard way. And for the first time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's awesome. It's such an important conversation to have. I'm so happy you're doing what you do. And just even this podcast, like putting this out, taking the shame away, finding the resources. Cause I know for so many women, especially it's, it's the financial piece, you know, is so scary. I thank you so much for having me here and for having bold conversations, you know, not everybody leans into these topics. And I know I just love the work that you're doing because it's about the children. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm the truth teller. I'm the black sheep. And like people in my real life think I'm rude. I don't know. I don't put up with, and it's gotta be the truth. You know what I mean? And yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm a little brutal like that, but I, I have no interest in changing. (laughs) I want to have the hard conversations because I feel like we pussyfoot around this and then you get screwed along the way. Absolutely. And if, especially in, in the world we're in right now, if we can't have the bold, big conversations, then how are we going to work through these very complex times? Right. And put the kids first, because if you're all in your head about this, they're not being conscious for your kids. That's right. I love it. Thank you. All right. Well, rock on. All right, you guys, I appreciate you. I appreciate your patronage and have an awesome day. Bye, Alicia. See you, Jamie. Okay, bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. <laughs> you can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.